Come with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark. Mark's gospel. Been talking about how to change things from the inside out. And we've looked the last couple of weeks at the power of intention. And I want to look at this parable again. It's a very simple parable. And then I want to kind of put it in its context for you. And then I'll read another verse and we'll see where this goes. How's that sound? (laughs) Hopefully you'll have something you can take home with you that will uh, be a nugget or something that will help your life. Amen. I'm trusting. I'm trusting God that that will be the case. Uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter four, in verse 26, it says this. uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Verse 28, for the earth yields crops by itself without help. That's the point. By itself. Right? First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Interesting, isn't it? Now, let's fit this in its context, because if your Bible's like mine, of course, I don't know how people do this these days. I'm still old-fashioned and actually read my Bible. I know there are people that do stuff online, and you can get verses sent to you and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how you do that, but, but I still do this the old-fashioned way, uh, even though I've spent way too many hundreds of dollars on Bible software programs. <laughs> But if you notice, it's got, it changes, almost like it changes topics, uh, the way that they put this in. And they're just showing you where one parable begins and the other parable ends. But because of the way our minds think in Western, you know, just the way we're trained, it almost looks like a change of subject. But really, all of Mark chapter 4 is essentially about the same thing. And he uses a farming illustration or a farming picture, an image and story, to tell us things about how the kingdom of God operates. So in verse 14, um, uh, where's that? I'm sorry, verse 11, uh, he begins to explain the parable that he had just told about the sower who sows the word. And in verse 11, he says to you, it has been given to know the, the mystery of the kingdom of God, or it's been given to you to know the secret about how the kingdom of God operates. So in other words, when Jesus is telling the parables, he's telling us secrets about how the kingdom works, right? And if you go through and you read it and put that parable that we just read in its entire context, it says that Jesus uh, told Parables, stories to the multitudes, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained things to them. So the way Mark puts this together, we only get the explanation for the first parable. And the explanation for the first parable is very basic. He says the seed is the word of God or it is the word about the kingdom. That's how Matthew puts it. Um, And then he says that the soil is the heart. And he talks in the first parable about uh, uh, seed that falls by the wayside and the birds of the air come and eat it up. And he says, he says, that's seed that gets sown on the soil of your heart, but you don't understand it. And the enemy comes, the devil comes and gobbles it, steals it away. The second ground is stony ground. The seed falls in the stony ground and it begins to spring up and grow. But when the sun comes up, it it causes it to wither because it has no depth of earth to it. 
And then he says the thorny ground, there's seed that falls on the thorny ground, and that's like a person whose heart is full of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things, and it chokes the word so that it does not become fruitful. And he doesn't go on and explain the other parables because he doesn't have to, because we already have enough understanding that we should be able to get it. In other words, the seed continually represents the word, and the soil continually represents our hearts. Right. So in the parable that we just read, I want you to notice that he said the earth brings forth the fruit, not the heavens, the earth and the earth is what saints? It's your heart. So change happens in the earth. How from the inside out? And it comes forth from you. You are the answer. You are the, the, the one who's able to produce the change that you're looking for. See it? We do it almost opposite. It's like we send words up to heaven. This is how we think the world might operate. We send words up to heaven thinking if we sow into the heavens, that change is going to happen in the earthly realm. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said that we take seed and that the change comes from our hearts out. So it's not us trying to convince God to do something and then God bringing about a change in the earth. Quite the opposite. It's God convincing us of something so that we can bring forth the change from our hearts and produce it from us. So the change comes from us. It comes from the inside out, which means that we have to create the answer to our prayer in our heart before it shows up in the physical realm. We don't try to persuade God and get, then get Him to give us the answer. We are creating an environment in our heart that's free from stones, that's free from thorns, that's good soil so that it can bring forth from the heart. So, so we have to, I'm going to say it again, we have to create the answer we are looking for in our heart before it manifests and shows up in this physical realm. And if we don't do that, we cannot expect results. Which is why for many of us, we don't get any. (laughs) Right? I mean, mean, it's pretty plain, right? And here's what it says. It says it brings forth by itself. Now, here's part of our problem. So, if you look at any ancient culture, you pick anyone you want to, uh, for literally thousands of years, they can go back several thousand years to Sumerian cultures, to the Canaanite culture that Abraham came out of, to the very earliest um, forms of the Jewish faith or the Hebraic religion. And you can trace it all the way down through the ages up until this modern world. And you discover that they have a completely different worldview about how things work or about cause and effect. And here's what I mean. First of all, every ancient worldview, including the worldview in your Bible, has what's technically called philosophically an animistic, animistic worldview. Now, if I say animistic, other than animal, what does that sound like? If they say anima, what what do you think of? Animated, right? So an animistic worldview is simply this. It is a world that is completely animated. So the Bible, so Jesus says, when he's at the temple, if these keep quiet, 
even these stones will cry out praises to God. In Isaiah, it talks about the trees clapping their hands and the mountains singing praise. The heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth is full of His glory. John says it this way, we mistranslate it, but in the earliest uh, copies that we have of what John actually says in John chapter 1, you can go back to Cyril of Jerusalem, who's writing in the 4th century a commentary on the Gospel of John. We say, uh, in him was life, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and the life is the light of all men. But that's not actually what John said. What John said, according to the earliest manuscripts that we have, was he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in all things is life, or in all things is His life, and His life is the light of all mankind. So even our earliest Christian sources and stuff had this sort of animated worldview. Now, here's why this is important. Because what was believed was that everything was connected at a level of consciousness. See, light has to do with consciousness. In, in all things was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And he is the light that gives light to every man that comes into the world. Paul says it this way, In Christ all things exist, and all things are held together visibly and invisibly. So in other words, what the ancients believed, what our Christian Bible teaches us, is that you are intricately connected with everything in the universe at a level of your consciousness. And if, if everything that was made comes out of something unseen, Hebrews 11, 3, we looked at it last week, that he takes the invisible substance, the things which are seen were not made of those things which are visible. They were made of something, but they were made of something invisible. So for every causation, for every action, for everything that has existence, there is an invisible cause in the ancient worldviews. And this is why you had folk magic. This is why you had witch doctors. This is why, don't get upset with me, this is why Israel had a priesthood. Israel had a priesthood, and that priesthood operated supernaturally. So, you, you, you get what I'm saying? A perfect example of this, I mean, it's not a very pleasant one, but if a woman was, uh, if, a, if a man and woman were suspected of committing adultery, this is in your Bible, and they're lying about it or whatever, and it says the spirit of jealousy takes hold of the husband. It says what they would do is they would come before the priest, and the priest would take some drink, and he would speak words over it. And they would drink it, and if they were telling the truth, they would live, and if they were lying, they would die. And that's how we'd find out what the truth was. Very similar to folk magic in some regards. Here's my point. Because they believed that consciousness affected outcomes. That your thoughts mattered. That your prayers mattered. So when Jesus is saying, out of your heart comes the change, out of your heart comes the fruit, he's simply playing on something that they already knew, believed, and understood. 
Now, if you start talking about some of this stuff, people get upset and say, well, you're teaching mind over matter. <laughs> and some, like somehow that's bad or wrong or evil or new age or something. <laughs> and so we have to try to explain ourselves. Make sense? All right. But then with Newton, everything changed, right? Remember the story from childhood, you know, the apple falls or whatever. And, and so we get this Newtonian model of physics that we're taught. And, and so then what we're taught is that there is no consciousness that's driving and causing things. Everything is happening almost circumstantially. Uh, mechanically, that's the better way to say it. It's just a mechanical universe. And in fact, one philosopher said God is the great watchmaker. He just, he, the, the, he used the watch, uh, an image for us to understand. He used the watch to say this is what creation is like. And God just wound it up and now he's sitting back watching it tick down. So we're taught to believe, now here's what's interesting, we're taught to believe in our culture, scientifically, we're taught to believe that our mind has no effect on the material world. We're taught to believe that our feelings have no effect on the material world, not even our own bodies. We have to find something material to influence what's going on in our body, called medicine. So your thoughts can't even affect you, much less anything outside of you. And everything is separated. There is no connection. There is no oneness. There is no light of Christ in all things and in us that connects us to everything so that we can operate the way the Bible says that we can operate. Are you, are you breathing? Are you sure? <laughs> okay, so that started changing in the 20th century when they got into quantum physics. Now, quantum just means small. And so when you're talking about quantum physics, what quantum physicists do is they penetrate into the smallest particles of matter or materiality that they can find. And and what they have found is that at its most basic element, nothing in the world that we call material operates according to Newtonian physics or the way it's supposed to. It's not mechanical. In fact, one theory says this. uh, What they're able to prove, this is just basic. Like if you read a book on quantum physics, this will be the first thing that you, you learn. Was And how they did this, I have no idea. But somehow they were able to demonstrate that at... Its smallest particle level, everything exists as a wave. But because it is a wave, it is not solid. In order to be a solid, it has to be a particle. Are you tracking with me? So what, the, but we, we have solid stuff, right? So that means that it is existing as a particle. But here's what they found out. It requires an observer for it to change from a wave to a particle. Consciousness. So here's what this means, potentially. Get ready to go into the twilight zone just a little bit. Whoever comes here first in the morning, whoever's the first person to get here, everything that exists in this room is not existing solid. It's existing as a wave. It's energy. And the moment somebody shows up and walks in the room. So in other words, these chairs aren't solid until somebody walks in the room. And the moment an observer shows up, it turns into a particle and becomes solid. 
kind of makes you wonder about the old story. You know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a sound? That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? So they started looking at stuff and saying, how does thought influence the world around us? And surprisingly, there's been a lot of research scientifically that's been done. See, this wasn't a problem for ancient people. They knew thought influenced things because they had this animistic idea of how the world existed, that everything had consciousness and you could influence. There, there was an exchange of consciousness that took place. I mean, I don't want to get too weird on you, but, you know, Dr. O that was with us, his, his dad would be able, when people would get sick, he's from Africa, right? So not as infected by the mechanicalistic worldview. And he would be able to go out when someone in the family would get sick and would talk to the plants and would somehow find out from the plants what they had that they could offer the person that was sick. And they'd get better. Now, the idea that you could go talk to the plants is crazy. But what I'm to us, it is to us that you could have a conscious exchange. Okay, maybe we talk to our plants. I mean, you know, they've proven, you know, if you talk to your plant, it gets. But did you know you could hear your plant talk to you? What if I told you there's actual scientific research that validates that you can? But it gets suppressed. Are you breathing? <laughs> it gets suppressed. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why are we being held in this belief system that says that our thoughts and our feelings and our words can't influence materiality in the world around us? Is it possible that something or somebody does not want us to wake up to the divine potential that we have. I mean, you have to ask yourself that question. So, starting in the 80s, there was a group at Princeton University that did these studies. They, they began to understand, based on quantum theory, the presence of the observer is changing the world around it. So they began to ask themselves the question, how much influence can a person have? So they set up a series of experiments that they did for over 20 years. Over 20 years. And what they did initially was they took a random number generator that was generating binary numbers. So binary just means two. It's like a computer language. So everything's showing up as a zero or a one. So they, maybe they'd have a line of ten digits and they would all be zeros and ones in a certain pattern and it would be completely randomly selected. Got it? So it's like they're sitting before a big uh, slot machine, sort of. But it's just zeros and ones. And so what they, what they uh, postulated was that eventually, after running it enough times, there would be a pattern of either more ones or more zeros that would show up. So what they wanted to know was, if they put an observer in the room, could the observer influence the outcome of the numbers? 
And so what they did, they didn't give them any training. They just took people, they stuck them in a room, and they said, what we want you to do is look at this screen, and we want you, in whatever way you can with your mind, to try to influence the numbers so that it comes up with either more ones or more zeros. So in other words, all you have to do is decide that you want more zeros or you want more ones. That's all you have to do. And then sit there and do whatever you're going to do. Because <laughs> they didn't, it was just completely open-ended. Do whatever you're going to do to influence the numbers. And so, and so maybe you're sitting there and maybe in an hour, let's say, they run 500 sequences and then they add all those up and see whether or not there was more ones or more zeros. And they ran that experiment with uh, tons of people and over years so that they had a tremendous amount of data because they're trying to rule out chance. And here's what they discovered. That in fact a person could influence the outcome of the machine and it was so precise, the, 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 the statistical probability was so precise that at the end of 20 years of doing this study, what they said was the probability of this happening by chance is one in one billion. One in one billion, that it's just random. So in other words, they have to conclude from that, beyond any statistical doubt, that the person was able to influence the outcome of the machine just with their thoughts. That's real, Princeton, peer-reviewed, scientific research. But now, they had 20 years to do this, right? So they found out some other things that were pretty interesting. One of the things they found out was they, they found out if they take two people who have a bond, and it can be a simple bond, like they want to work together as a team. We're going to do this together as a team and see if we can influence it more. And they found out the probabilities went up. In other words, they were more effective at influencing it when it was two of them working together as a team than when it was just one. Or if they took two people together and they didn't talk about what they were doing, and they didn't work together on it. it. Do you see what I'm saying? So they began to see that when two minds are cooperating, it's even more effective. So then they thought, what if we take two people that are really in love? What if we take a man and a woman who have a deep heart connection, who are really in love, and we stick them in there and we let them do it, and they found out it's even more effective. So they found out the presence of the emotion of love works even better. <laughs> now, here's what they found in every single case. The person would go in, they'd have no idea what they were doing. They would sit there and they would just try to influence the numbers and they would be kind of playful about it. They'd be kind of curious, kind of childlike, maybe even doubtful. And they would get immediate results. Then they would tell the person that they were getting results and the results would immediately drop off. <laughs> you could track it on a wave like this. It would dip down and get way worse. And then later it would come back up and they would develop proficiency. And so they began to look for what's the anomaly there. What's changing that's causing this graph to go like this with every single person that did it. And here's what they found out with every single person. What they found out was when they knew they could get results, they started trying. They started putting forth more effort. They started thinking harder and trying harder and focusing harder and trying harder to make a change. And the harder they tried to make it happen, the less effective that they were. Until finally they just got to the point that they just gave up and then they're not trying as hard anymore and it starts working again. There was one lady that was the most effective at doing it. 
And the way she got results was she got a cup of vanilla yogurt and a book and sat there and just kind of subtly tried to influence the numbers while she was eating her yogurt and reading her book. And she was the most effective. And the top researcher at Princeton said, I thought maybe it was the vanilla yogurt. But here's what they found out at this level, at these levels where consciousness interacts to bring change in our world, that force prevents it from working. That the more playful, the more fun, the more relaxed, the more restful, the more gentle the approach, the more effective the results. Now, you've got to ask yourself, because the Bible says this, God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so when Jesus is teaching, often he flips what we think completely around. If Give and you shall receive. Give and it will be given unto you. So how in the world does that work? Because our method is, I'm going to take what I can get. I'm going to, I used to call it the can method. I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to put it in a can and I'm going to sit on the can. Right? Because that's how you increase. That's what you're taught. But Jesus said, no, if you want to increase, you give. <laughs> Jesus said, if you want to be first, you make yourself last. He says, if you want to be exalted, you make yourself a servant. So that's completely contrary to the way that we think. So wouldn't it make sense then if we think I've got to try hard to make this work because that's what we're taught. Everything in this physical world, it operates by force. If I want this chair to move, I've got to put force on this chair, right? But when you get into those higher realms of the heavens, everything's the opposite. So it just makes sense then that the less force you apply, the more effective you can be. At influencing outcomes. But we're not really taught that in the church. In fact, we're taught spiritual warfare. <laughs> we're, we're, taught, we're taught this. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent do what? Take it by force. And Jesus isn't even talking about getting answers to prayer, but we apply it there. <laughs> and we say, if you want it, I have to take it totally out of context, that one verse. Because actually, in the context of the day, I don't have time to go into all of it, but what Jesus was talking about was he was talking about boundaries being broken by a shepherd. It's a picture of a shepherd who would, who would um, build a hedge at night. He'd be moving the flocks, and he would build a hedge at night of stones or whatever to keep the sheep in up against a mountain. And in the morning, he would tear down those, those stones. And so in the mind of Jesus, it was that religious system that was the stones that were keeping the sheep limited. And so he was breaking. The... And we unfortunately, we translate it force. And so in our mind, we think, I got to make it happen. In the name of Jesus. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm sure I saw that on television somewhere. <laughs> when out came the rattlesnakes. But anyway, no. <laughs> you ever seen those videos? That's totally a side note. There really are snake handlers like in weird places. And because, uh, and, you know, yeah, well, we weren't going to pick out a people group. But, <laughs> but he said it. I didn't. <laughs> Appalachia. Um, 
where they take, you know, the Bible literally. And so the Bible says in Mark 16, you know, if, if you have faith, you can let snakes bite you and, and you'll, it won't affect you and you can drink poison. And so they have church services on Sunday night and then they bring out the rattlesnakes or the cotton mouths or whatever. And then, uh, and then they poison the punch and pass it around and sometimes you live and sometimes you die. And if you die, that just meant you didn't have any faith. <laughs> There's documentaries out there on that. How did I get off on that mess? Yeah, somebody did. Somebody somewhere. <laughs> Don't always take the Bible literally. It'll drive you crazy. No. <laughs> so, but see, here's what Jesus teaches in the parable. You put the seed in the ground, and the seed will grow all by itself. You don't have to dig it up. See, so here's what we do. We set our intention, and then we have to let it happen, not try to make it happen. And the moment we get like this, and we get in there and try to make it, is the moment that we're no longer resting and trusting. It's the moment we violate the principle. So it really is like a man who plants a seed in the ground, and three days later, four days later, five days later, a week later, he still doesn't see anything on that ground. So he digs up that seed and finds where it's germinated a little bit and says it's not growing enough. And so he's squeezing it. I'm going to get this life out of this seed. And maybe he's pulling on it a little bit. Let's pull it up. Let's spit on it a few times. Let's pray the rosary over it. Plop it back in the ground. Cover it back up. Stomp on it. Now grow. <laughs> but see, that's what we do when we set our intention on a new job. And a week later, we don't have one. We set our intention on growth and increase, and three weeks later, we don't have it. We set our intention on health and healing, and however much time goes by, and we're still feeling pain in our bodies. You know, we set our intention on, on healing, and we don't instantly feel better. And so, you know, we, we're still experiencing symptoms or pain or whatever. We say, well, that didn't work. I gotta try something else. I gotta try harder. I gotta try to believe harder. I gotta try to pray harder. I gotta try to take it by force. I gotta try to make it happen. I gotta fight the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil making me sicker. It's the devil putting more pain on me. And I gotta shut that devil down. And the only thing he understands is greater force. So here we come. Ah! And oh, it's right here in our Bible the whole time. So sometimes change is as simple as taking an intention and planting it in your own heart like a seed, like an acorn. See, I've decided what I want. You've got to put these messages together, but I've decided what I want. I've decided what I intend to have. I'm willing to have, I have the passion and the focus to stay with it. Because see, the man could plant the seed in the ground and walk away and who knows what that seed does. It does require care, it does require attention, but it requires the right kind of care and attention that doesn't involve forcing it to grow. You see it? So the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit in there is gentleness. So what if I can influence outcomes if I use the power of gentleness rather than the power of force. 
So what if I stop demanding of my situations that they produce for me? I stop demanding of people that they produce for me in my life, my, my relationships. We're, we're going to have a happy whatever. We're going to have a happy home. Kids, cooperate. I remember my dad. We'd, we'd go on a vacation. I'm going to offend somebody. Sorry, Mom. I'm just, this was my dad. Yeah. We would, I remember we're getting ready to take our first... Uh, motorhome trip and so dad went and rented this motorhome shows up he's all excited about this motorhome and you know it's always stressful when you're getting out the door especially with a family of four right and and so we pile into this motorhome and whatever and there's all this stress and the twins were arguing because the twins were always arguing it's never me <laughs> so I always blame it on the twins and they always triangulated like you could never win just kidding it's not true. And so there's all this stress and turmoil, and my dad just turned around and said, We are on vacation and we're going to have fun, damn it. <laughs> Jimmy said, Just described half the households in America. But see, the, we, that's kind of how we are. We're gonna, so it's like, I'm going to have a happy family and my kids are going to cooperate to make it a happy family. By golly. I'm going to have a better thing at work and so they're going to cooperate. And so I'm going to force my way on it. Or, I'm gonna be, or I have no power because the powers that be have the power, so I'm going to be very passive-aggressive. But I'm still forcing. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And so it becomes a way that we approach life. It becomes a way that we approach relationships. It becomes a way that we approach anything in our lives, trying to make it happen uh, rather than allowing it to happen. So anything, change. Got something about your life that you want to change. I want to quit getting angry uh, so easily. So I'm going to stop getting angry. So I start applying force to that. And what happens? Right? Uh, I'm going to get over this anxiety. So I'm going to not feel anxiety. <laughs> right? See how we do that with ourselves? One of the worst ways we do it is with should, ought, and must. You can take anything in your life and say, I should be doing this, and you will feel yourself, if you're sensitive enough to your body, you will feel yourself tense up because should always, always has force behind it. I need to. I have to. Don't you just love it when people... I mean, really, do you like it when people start coming and telling you what you need to do? Well, you know, Aaron, if you're going to get over that anxiety, what you really need to do is, and before they even finish their sentence, what happens? Resistant. Because like begets like, right? So much different than you have the opportunity to. You can. I know I should live healthy. I know I should eat healthy like a vegan. But I like that meat too much. How's that feel? 
Or it could be, I can live healthy and still eat my meat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> do, you, do you feel the difference? I can live healthier. I can live happier. I can live with less anger in my life. I can live with less judgment. I can live, I can approach things with more gentleness and more kindness. It's totally different than I have to. I have to. I have to make sure. Now, see, here's what some of you will do if you're like me. You're so results-oriented. It's like, okay, now I have to relax. <laughs> I have to approach this with gentleness. So now I'm telling myself, I'm going to make it. Ha- oh, no, 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 no. i got to have to. i got to have to relax. What if really, what if if the kingdom of God, the kingdom coming, the authority, the power, the majesty of who our creator is comes into our life by simply planting a little seed through just this sort of gentle art of farming, just setting your intention. I'm just going to set my intention to be happier. I'm just going to set my intention to be more gentle. I'm just going to set my intention to have more peace. And I'm going to relax with it. I'm going to keep my focus and my attention on it. I'm not going to plant the seed and walk away and forget about it and not be able to harvest it. I'm going to be able to keep my attention on it so that I can watch first the blade and then the ear and then the full corn in the ear. And I'm going to stay with it until the harvest ripens and life brings me that which I have set my intention upon. But I'm not going to try to make it happen. And I'm not going to demand that it happens. And I'm not going to force it to happen. I'm going to let it happen. I'm not going to make myself better. I'm going to let myself get better. I'm not going to make myself change. I'm going to let myself change. I'm not going to make people in my life be better. I'm going to let them be better. I'm not going to make my family have fun on vacation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really don't mean to be offensive, but it's just life, right? It's just life. And it's integrious because that's how it happened. If I said he said, by golly, I'd be lying. Then I'd be lying in church. Which would be worse? Right? Right? But I can let it. Instead of demanding, instead of demanding, instead of making, instead of forcing, I can let And I can allow. And life can begin to work. God put the life in that seed when he created the world. So anything that you see growing, if you see a tree, you can walk up to that tree and you can know God planned you before the foundation of the world. Isn't that awesome? So if God planned a tree before the foundation of the world to be here through the power of a simple seed, how much more did he plan things for you to show up in your life, to provide for you, and to help you be happy? Aren't you worth much more to him than a simple tree? So what if we just trusted that life had good things to bring us? That life works the way it's supposed to? That that seed, God put that seed in, God put the life in that seed before the foundation of the world. Because he knew it would show up in this generation because we'd need trees in order to convert our carbon dioxide back to oxygen. In order to cause it to rain upon the earth. We would need the trees. 
So God said, I've planned that to take care of you. And so if he's planned little details like that to take care of you, to make sure that you can breathe, to make sure that we have water, to make sure that the earth is still sustainable through a process that simply we allow to happen. How much more does he have things for your joy set up for you? How much more does he have things set up for your happiness? How much more does he have things set up for your glory? (laughs) For you to be able to manifest who you are as a son and a daughter of God. Don't you think God would have prepackaged some things, maybe put some things in the invisible to show up that you don't have to work and you don't have to stress and you don't have to sweat and you don't have to try to make it happen, but you can just sit back and relax and allow it to flow and allow it to happen so that instead of operating from a place of force, you and I begin to operate from a place of flow. And then maybe life becomes easier. Maybe life becomes better. Maybe life becomes less stressful. And we can approach things from a place of peace. But you know what you have to do? Can I just throw one little thing in? In order to be able to do this, you have to let go of judgment. Not just of people, not just of yourself, but of situations. This situation's bad, and I've got to get out of it, and I've got to make a change. Here comes the force. And then when I start trying to force, I've disconnected. So if I can just let things be as they are, without labeling them as good or bad, I can work with my intentions and... Just like that seed will cooperate, the universe will cooperate with my intention because God built me in such a way as an image bearer for the universe to respond to my dominion and authority. And if I have real authority, I don't have to shout for you to get it. All I have to do is... Put the intention into action. And let it happen. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Makes sense to me. Let's just pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your favor, and your grace, and your blessing over our lives. Thank you for every person that's here, every person that may listen to this message. I pray that you'll put peace over them, love and joy, and the ease of manifesting and the ease of the kingdom of God inside their lives. And we give you thanks and praise for it. In Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that, please say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We have uh, prayer teams. We'll have people up here to pray with you if you would like that. Um, Otherwise, have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you uh, next week, hopefully. Thanks.